He had never seen a blue sky or green grass or an ocean at sunset. He never looked upon a rainbow or a meadow full of wildflowers or into the face of his parents. He was born blind. Who sinned? The disciples asked Jesus, this man or his parents? Their question reflects a narrow theology, one that says all sickness is a result of personal sin. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. He expands their understanding of sin, sickness, and suffering, and how God operates in this world. Do you need answers for the pain and suffering you're experiencing? Do you need a miracle? Your best and only hope is Jesus Messiah. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian and whether you're listening on radio or online from our website, somethinggoodradio.org, thanks for stopping by. For the past few days, Ron has been walking us through the eight miracles of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Today we come to number six on the list. Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. But as you'll see in just a few moments, he wasn't the only person who had his eyes opened. The series is called Believe, The Miracles of Jesus, and you'll find it online, on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also listen and subscribe to the program at Spotify or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. From John chapter 9, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Blind Man Miracle. Well, we live in a world that is full of uh, enormous pain and suffering and evil. And uh, for that reason, a lot of us take a deep breath every time we get up in the morning or maybe watch a, a news story. Uh, whether uh, you experience some kind of pain and suffering and difficulty recently or uh, might somewhere down around the corner. I mean, it touches every one of us at, at some point in our life and in our experience. It's, it's part of the human experience, we might say. And um, it shouldn't surprise us because in one sense, you know, Jesus never gave His disciples uh, rose-colored glasses. He, he always spoke the truth to them. He always spoke reality to them. He said to them, in this world you will have tribulation. And uh, for that reason, every philosopher, every theologian, even everyday people like you and me, and every generation, you know, we're asking the hard questions. We're trying to figure out uh, and make sense of the injustices in our world, of all the pain, the suffering, uh, the things that happen in everyday life. And we ask those hard questions like, you know, why, why does God allow pain and suffering and evil in this world? And if He is all-powerful and all-loving, why doesn't he do something about it? Some have concluded that he's either not all-powerful, but he is all-loving, or he is all-powerful, but not all-loving, but he can't be both at the same time. And that, that's a fair assessment. That's a fair uh, way to wrestle with this question. And more often than not, when we wrestle with that question, you know, we go to the Old Testament book of Job. It's, it's God's wisdom on pain, suffering, and and all those kinds of hard questions that we ask. And we remember the, the story of Job, 
Uh, Job was a righteous man. Um, we get a little brief insight, a little peek behind the curtain, as it were, in that conversation between Job or between God and the devil about Job. Uh, Job loses everything. He loses his health. He loses his business. He loses his ten children in a tragic tornado, almost lost his wife who told him to curse God and die. I mean, Job's life was pathetic. And along come his three friends who look at Job and say, well, Job, there must, there must be some sin in your life, and they have this conversation going on for, I don't know, 30 or so chapters. And then finally in chapter 38 of the book of Job, God breaks his silence. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? And then he goes on for three or four chapters and, and takes Job on sort of a safari through, you know, all of creation and uh, the world and the universe and all of that, flexing his cosmic muscles, as it were, and basically says to Job, Job, where were you when I created the universe? What, what do you know about anything, Job? But it still leaves us with that lingering question, why? Why allow pain and suffering and evil in this world? When you love us the way you do and when you're as powerful as you claim to be and are, John chapter 9 is another place that we go besides the book of Job where we ask these kinds of questions, and it isolates it into a single man's life. John 9 and verse 1 says that when Jesus passed by, He saw a man blind from birth. Circle that little phrase, from birth. He was, he was blind from birth. Some tragedies in this world that befall children before they ever come out of the womb or as soon as they come out of the womb are the, are the cruelest of, of any, aren't they? I mean, this man was born blind. That means he had never seen a blue sky or green grass or an ocean at sunset. He had never seen a rainbow or looked upon a meadow full of wild flowers. He, he had never looked into the face of his own parents who were smiling at him. And unlike someone who had lost his sight and lives off the memory of what he had once seen, uh, this man had no visual memory bank. Uh, from the day he was born, from the day he came out of his mother's womb, all he knew was darkness. And, and there's nothing more cruel in life than that. He hadn't made any choices. This man was born blind. And Jesus walks by him. He says he passed by, and he happened to kind of see him out of the corner of his eye, we might, we might say. And it sparked a question among the disciples. Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, now what we're going to find is that the disciples had a very limited theology, a narrow theology. It was common in that day uh, to believe that somebody could sin even in their mother's womb, that's what the Pharisees and other religious leaders believe. So uh, the disciples are sort of in the vicinity, but still their understanding of how, who God is and how He operates in this world is still very narrow. They look at this blind man. They treat him like a, a case study rather than a real person. And some say they lack compassion even in the way they kind of talk around the man and about the man rather than sh showing compassion to him. But, Rabbi, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? It's kind of like Job's friends. Job, you're, you're, all this pain and suffering and tragedy has befallen you. There must be some sin in your life somewhere. And what we're going to find is that Jesus uh, expands their theology and their understanding of who God is and how He operates in this world. Before we get to all that, let, let me just 
land upon a little, little time here that I'd like to call a, a brief theology of sin, sickness, and suffering. Because this is a, one of the questions of the ages, and we all wrestle with it, even as followers of Jesus Christ. So I, I just jotted down a few things. Again, a brief theology, doesn't cover everything, but gives us at least a few statements that we can hang our mental thoughts on this morning. Number one, all sickness and suffering is the result of what theologians call original sin. And what do I mean by original sin? I'm talking about the, the origin of going back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. How did all of this start? The Bible has an explanation for it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and created all of that in six days. And on the sixth day, He created man in His own image, and He took Adam and put him into a perfect garden paradise, but also gave him moral responsibility in there and said, you know, do this, but don't do this. And Well, you know the story. Adam sinned against God, and sin entered into the world at that point. It was like a virus attacking your computer. And you don't know why the computer isn't working the way it's supposed to be working, but something is not right. That's the fallen world in which we live. We inherited that sin nature from our spiritual and physical forefather named Adam. And, and theologians refer to that as original sin. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. It wasn't supposed to be that way. But when sin entered into the world through the free moral choice of Adam and contaminated the bloodline, as it were, to where all of us inherit that propensity to rebel against God, we are born sinners. We are born spiritually blind, as it were. And that introduces kind of the story behind the story here. This is a story about a man who was born blind and receives the physical healing to his eyes. And he see, but, but behind all of this is the larger metaphor of, of spiritual blindness. How tragic it is to be born into this world with perfect 2020 vision, but you're spiritually blind. And that's the diagnosis of our, of our human condition. And the pain and the suffering and the sickness and all of that in this world in, in some general way, can trace back to what we call original sin. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. That's the sobering diagnosis of the Bible regarding our human condition. Number two, some sickness and suffering is the result of personal sin. Why do I say that? Well, the disciples, again, had a very narrow view of theology, and their, their view was, well, there's only one explanation for this. Either this man sinned or his parents did. Jesus is going to broaden their understanding of how God may choose to operate in this world, and, and we would broaden our brief theology here to say, well, some sickness and suffering might be the result of personal sin. I think of David in the Old Testament. Remember David and Bathsheba? David fell into that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He hid his sin for about a year, kept it quiet, until Nathan the prophet came and exposed David. And then we find two psalms in the book of Psalms that are psalms of confession. One is Psalm chapter 51, where David confesses his sin, and uh, that's probably the most famous one. And then there's Psalm chapter 32, where uh, David says, for when I kept 
silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That year-long silence where David hid his sin had a physical toll on his body. Make no mistake about that. There's still more to come from Dr. Ron Jones, so stay right here. Listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, a disciple's first steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. That's Starting Point, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. Theologians and Bible scholars have wrestled with the question for years, why does God heal some but not others? There's no perfect answer, but one thing we do know, a day is coming when there will be no more sickness, no more pain. Here's Ron with the rest of today's message, The Blind Man Miracle. And then we go into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's writing a letter to the, first, the, the Corinthian church, which was a really messed up church in the first century. There were divisions and factions and all kinds of uh, fighting going on in the church. And Paul wrote to address some of that and a lot of other questions that they had. And one of the questions had to do with the Lord's table. And, and he really took it on head on. And he says, some of, you, some of you are messing with this in a way that is unworthy of the Lord's table. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30, Paul says that uh, because of this, many of you, quote, are weak and ill and some have died. Wow, that'll get your attention. There's no further commentary about that other than the fact that because of some who, who played with the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, it produced sickness and illness, and some even died in the church at Corinth. So those are just two examples where I say, not all, but some, some sickness and suffering is the result of personal sin. Just be careful not playing the role of Job's friends and saying, huh, there must be some sin in your life, and it's my job as the Holy Spirit to to figure that out, you know? Job's friends made that mistake. If you're close enough to that person and you have knowledge of something that they're doing, firsthand knowledge, that's fine. But uh, thirdly, it's not always God's will to heal us. Again, a brief theology of sin, sickness, and suffering. Let me toss this one in. It's not always God's will to heal us in this life. Is it ultimately? Absolutely because there's no sin, sickness, suffering, or death, or tears anywhere found in heaven. Is healing in the atonement of Jesus Christ to where, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we should expect and even demand our healing from God in this life? I wouldn't go that far. There are plenty of cases where Jesus didn't heal everybody He came in contact with. And even the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12, he talks about a thorn in the flesh that he had. We don't know exactly what that is, but it was a thorn in the flesh. And Paul says, I prayed three times that God would remove that thorn in the flesh. And God didn't heal Paul. He just got these words, my grace is sufficient for you. God used that thorn, that infirmity, to create dependence in the Apostle Paul. Okay. There are two other occasions where Paul wrote letters and mentioned people who were ill or sick. 2 Timothy chapter 4, a friend named Trophimus who was ill. 
No mention whether he was healed or got better or not. Uh, We don't know what to assume, though. And then Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2 was ill and near death, Paul says. And in this case, he goes on to say, and God was merciful to him and to me, lest sorrow upon sorrow uh, should be poured out upon me. Uh, The implication is that Epaphroditus got well again, was maybe healed by uh, the touch. So again, you have to be careful, narrowing your theology so much to say God will, God will and must always act this way. Well, not necessarily. When you read the pages of Scripture carefully, it's not always God's will to heal us. He may have another purpose in mind. It's ultimately His will as long as you allow for the extended timeline that goes into eternity. And then fourthly, God has a purpose in our pain. And that's where Jesus takes His disciples. Uh, Let's read on in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Do you have room in your theology to, to suggest that a man who was born blind was part of the sovereign plan and will of God? Does it make God smile? Does it make Him happy that there's all this pain and suffering? No, but He can factor into His larger plan all of this. And Jesus was saying to His disciples, and boy, this this was a, a PhD course in theology here where they're getting their narrow theology and their narrow understanding of who God is and how He must or should or does operate in this world blown to pieces when Jesus says, no, it's neither his parents nor him that has sinned. But this man was born blind for the express purpose of giving glory to God at this moment. And Jesus begins to heal him. That's, that's a pretty powerful thing. In other words, this man's blindness was not a cosmic accident. It was not a disaster. It was part of God's sovereign plan. And I love how Jesus turns the negative situation into a positive. And God can do that in any one of our lives, whatever pain or difficulty or tragedy we're facing. He can take that, that painful, difficult situation and turn it into a, a purposeful moment to glorify Himself and to, and to grow you and me in our, in our faith. Jesus goes on to say something uh, pretty amazing here in verses 4 and 5, but f- before we get there, all of this kind of reminds me of comments that two of my favorite authors have made over the years, uh, one of them being C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford educator and uh, intellectual, uh, a man who was once a a professed atheist but who later came to faith in Christ. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain and uh, had his own personal journey and very uh, thoughtful observations about the subject. It was Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. Pain is His megaphone to arouse a deaf world. That's pretty good, isn't it? Because God uses pain and suffering yet to get our attention. Uh, I've grown, and perhaps you have too, more through times of adversity than I have through times of prosperity uh, because it drives us to a dependence upon Him. Someone else said, pain plants the flag of reality in the fortress of a rebel heart. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it tells us that, hey, rebel, hey, hey, wanderer from God or skeptic or whatever you might be, uh, that, that pain is an attention grabber, is it not? 
Philip Yancey is also one of my favorite authors, and I recommend his book, uh, Where is God When It Hurts? And, and Yancey is never afraid to ask the hard questions and to um, think deeply about the subject of pain and suffering. He says, I have never read a poem extolling the virtues of pain, nor seen a statue erected in its honor, nor heard a hymn dedicated to it. Pain is usually defined as unpleasantness. He says, Christians don't really know how to interpret pain. If you pin them against the wall in a dark secret moment, many Christians would probably admit that pain was God's one mistake. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a better way of coping with the world's dangers. Yancey goes on to say, I'm convinced that pain gets a bad press. Perhaps we should see statues, hymns, and poems to pain. Why do I think that? Because up close under a microscope, the pain network is seen in an entirely different light. It is perhaps the paragon of creative genius. And Yancey says that after examining from a medical point of view uh, the pain network in the body. By the way, did you know that leprosy is a condition where you don't feel pain anymore. The reason why lepers are often uh, dismembered and disfigured is because a leper can literally be walking down the road uh, barefoot, step on a nail and not, not feel the pain. And before long, the infection sets in and the gangrene sets in and there's no other choice but to, to amputate the foot or the leg. Uh, pain is that paragon of creative genius to, to alert us to something that is wrong. You're listening to Something Good Radio. Today's message, The Blind Man Miracle, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. Check out our online store for books, teaching series, lots of great resources to help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Almost everyone who goes with us to the Holy Land tells us it's one of the best decisions they've ever made. We hope you can join us in 2022. Visit somethinggoodradio.org for more information or to reserve your spot today. Well, the past year has been tough for a lot of people out there. And we want you to know that the ministry team here at Something Good Radio is here for you as we begin to recover from the pandemic and the challenges that have come with it. If you need prayer today for any reason, please contact us at somethinggoodradio.org and our ministry team will join you in prayer for any need you have. We also want to say thank you because your prayers and financial support have made it possible for Something Good Radio to reach more people than ever before with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for all you've done and when you give a gift this month, 
Ron will say thank you by sending you the complete audio download of the series that you're hearing now, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. That's Believe the Miracles of Jesus. Request it today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. You know, it's not up to us to choose God's methods or His ways. But every time a humble sinner is healed of his or her spiritual blindness, it's because they came to the cross of Christ. You can argue all day long about God's methods for saving you, for forgiving you of your sins, for healing you of your spiritual blindness. But as you argue with Him about His methods, you will remain spiritually blind until you're humble enough to come like every other repentant sinner must. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Blind Man Miracle. Tune in then to hear something good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.